0: Hey everybody, welcome to Therapy for Humans, the podcast where if you're not careful you might just pick up some tips on how to survive as a more or less psychologically intact human in the modern world. My name is Rowan and I'll be your host. Welcome back, episode 7, Therapy for Humans. So I'm going to jump in with an email and again I guess I'm going to give a little trigger alert to this. This has to do with childhood sexual abuse and if that's something that Is going to be uncomfortable for you to hear about, then just move it along a little bit, maybe four or five minutes down the line. I can't tell because I haven't gotten there yet. Um, Or just, you know, I don't know, do something different for a minute and then tune back in. Okay, so this woman, I'm not going to read the email because I don't want to give even a whiff of any sort of identifying characteristics. So I'll just kind of give you the synopsis. Basically this woman spoke about having narcissistic parents or at least a narcissistic mother and a father with alcoholism and narcissistic traits. And I'm going to get into that, what that looks like in a minute. But, um, and then she also shared that she has a history of childhood sexual abuse and that her mother was complicit in the knowledge of this. Um, actually referred her to a couple of therapists in town that I think do an amazing job with this particular kind of thing. But I, also wanted to speak in general about these issues here on the podcast. So first let's talk about childhood sexual abuse. Um, you know, I generally try to keep this podcast as upbeat as possible, but, um, there's just no way to make this subject sound anything but just fucking horrible. Um, and unfortunately I've worked with way too many clients who have been the victims of sexual abuse and sexual assault as children. Um, most of them have done really amazing work around this, but it still pops up for them. Um, and in my work with them, I found that there are often two important underlying pieces, and those are trust and self-esteem. So let's tackle trust first. So the reality is there are a few things that will affect your ability to trust more than being sexually assaulted, and especially if this occurred at the hands of someone who is supposed to be caring for you. So when it comes then later in life to sex as a consenting adult, it can be very hard to control reactions, flashbacks, and just general kind of shutdown, and they can come out of nowhere. Even if your partner has never done anything to lead you to not trust them, your past can place filters over your experience with them that can cause a lot of problems. So it's crucial that you are able to tell your partner when and if you need to stop during sex. Many people try to just keep going and kind of space out or whatever they need to do to please their partner, or because they're afraid their partner will leave them if they don't have sex with them. But this is an important part of your healing process. You need to know that you are in control and that you can stop at any point for any reason. And hopefully your partner understands this and does not take it personally, And they can learn what you need in these moments. And what you need in those moments may change from moment to moment. So it's a learning curve for both of you. And this is a process, if you're with a long-term partner, that they should be in with you. This is not something that they should be just expecting you to figure out and then, you know, get back to them when you've done all the work around it. This is work that you need to do together. It's not easy and it's not fun and it can be frustrating and sad and scary and all of that stuff, but it's worth doing because that's the path through to a happy sex life, to a happy life in general, and you need to enlist the help of your partner in that. So not all abuse of this kind is understood by the child to not be okay until later, and that can deepen aspects of shame associated with it, which brings us to the self-esteem part. So low self-esteem, self-harming, high-risk sexual behavior are all things that can come out of having a history like this. And most of that is driven by a pretty bleak concept of oneself. And it's not hard to understand why you would have a poor sense of yourself if you went through things like this as a child. You just don't get the concept that you are an autonomous, important human being. So... In this particular person's case, they feel that there was also some narcissism going on, which means that as, as the child, who should have been cared for and put first, they were used and scapegoated and belittled to feed the ego of their parents. And it can be very hard to develop a good sense of self after a childhood like this, but it can be done, and a caring partner and good social supports can undo a lot of the messages that the child received in terms of the value that they have to others. And in my opinion, that's where a lot of this work lies. It's about continuously challenging those negative thought patterns and cognitive distortions that say you're not worthy of real love, that you're not good enough, that you're somehow damaged or flawed. It's hard work and it can get exhausting to constantly battle those voices which is why it's so important to have good friends around you who can help you do that, so that the way they care about and care for you flies in the face of those other voices. Sometimes you need to trust those other loved ones in your life more than you trust your own internal dialogue, just for a little while, and in your weaker moments, until your concept of yourself is accurate enough and strong enough to hold its own against those other flawed, lying, spewers of untruths that live in your brain they are the interlopers. They are the parasites. They don't belong there. They are not your true self. They are aberrations born of unspeakable, twisted, and selfish acts that were perpetrated against you, and none of that is your fault. So when your friends look at you and tell you that they love you and that you're important to them and that your presence in their lives makes them happy, take that shit in. Make it part of you, even if it doesn't feel real, even if it's hard to accept. At the very least, keep it on a shelf where you can find it again, and every once in a while, take it down and play with it. What if this were true? What if I am the amazing person that they say I am? What if it's really true that their lives are better with me in it? If I truly believed that, how would my life be different? And then, if it feels too hard to hold on to, put it back on the shelf until you're ready to try again, but don't stop trying. Okay, so I hope that's helpful, and I hope that you find a therapist to work with that you connect with. And as I've said over and over again, and I will continue to say, if you're seeing a therapist you don't connect with, find another therapist. If you go in for an initial meeting with a therapist and you just don't immediately click with them, find another one to try. There is a shitload of therapists in Durango and all across the country if you're not in Durango, and a lot of them are really good. So, just check it out a lot of them are really bad so be careful about who you sit with but the choice is yours and you are in control the other piece I want to touch on here in terms of being in control and what therapy around this kind of stuff can look like everybody has their own approach and I've written blogs about this in the past Um, my approach to any kind of a trauma background I mean, obviously, it just depends on what's going on. Everybody is different, every individual. But I tend towards the approach of I'm not going to make you come in every week and go through every detail of your trauma and hold you there until you can't breathe. I don't think that that's helpful. I think it can be re-traumatizing. I do need to get some details of what occurred so that I know what we're talking about. But once that's done, then we can just refer to it. And we can talk about how that's showing up now for you and what it's causing issues with that you want to shift. But you're not going to come in, if you're working with me, you're not going to come in every week and be drugged through the details of your trauma over and over and over again until you somehow magically aren't affected by it. I don't think it works that way. So that's my approach. Everybody has their own approach. But if you're struggling with things like this and you want therapy, but you're concerned about what that's going to look like, call therapists, ask their opinion, ask them what their approach is and see if that feels comfortable to you or not. But remember that you are in control. This is especially important if your trauma event or events revolved around you not having control. The last thing you want to do is go in and try to be vulnerable with somebody that you don't feel comfortable laying down your own set of boundaries with. Okay. So that's that I'm going to move on. Um, We have another email that came in. They say, Hey Rowan, there are many aspects of my life that I never really feel settle into a finality. I often have the sense that if I do all the right things at all the right times, that eventually I'll break through to some perception of reality where all the pieces align and fall into place perfectly. Sometimes this happens, but only for a fleeting moment and things fall apart again. However, recently it seems like things are falling apart more than they're coming together. Like every project or relationship I try to pursue is made of paper and glass, and they crumble at the simplest mistake. For the past month, it seems like I've been mourning more than celebrating, and I'm not sure how to get balance back in my life. Well, thanks for your email. I love the image you paint, that every project or relationship I try to pursue Pursue is made of paper and glass, and they crumble at the simplest mistake. I don't love that you feel this way, but I love the words you use to describe this painful thing. When you talk about this idea of doing all the right things at all the right times, it feels true that there is some magical secret formula, and once we figure that out, everything will be okay. And we know this is true because, as you say, once in a while we get a glimpse of that when everything seems to be coming into alignment, when it all makes sense. And better yet, it's making sense because we're finally getting it right. We're cracking the code. Here's the thing. There's no right way. There's no secret formula. Sometimes life is fucking hard, and it feels like it's never going to change. Now, of course, it does change because that's what life does. When things are going well, there's always the risk that it could topple and crash down around us. But thankfully, the other side of that is that when things are not going well... If we keep going, that will change too. Sometimes we have to dig deep to find some good stuff to stand on. So now this is where you cue all the bedrock, rock bottom, rock solid metaphors that we hear all day long. But the reality is usually there are things that we can look at and feel buoyed at least a little bit by. Maybe it's as simple as you have a job. Okay, maybe you hate your job, but it's a paycheck and it beats being unemployed. Maybe it's that you have one friend who's there for you most of the time. Okay, maybe not all the time, and maybe they do that thing when they chew that makes you want to rip their face off, but still, they are there for you. Maybe it's just that you're more or less able-bodied and able-brained. It's not sexy, and it's not even particularly noteworthy, but it's something that could be a lot worse, but it's not. It's proof that all hope is not, as of yet, lost. So here's the good news. If there really is no secret formula for winning at life, if there really is no code you can crack that will unlock the inner workings of the universe and allow you to access all the fulfillment of all your wildest dreams, then that means that maybe you can stop searching for that. Maybe you can trust that you really do already possess everything you need to be whatever your definition of success is. And maybe that will take time and patience and And a lot of stops and starts and annoyance at others who seem to be catching all the breaks while you have none. But, as they say in the movies, it will all be okay in the end. And if it is not okay, it is not the end. Okay, next email coming in. uh, It says, I suffer from social anxiety. I try not to interact with people any more than I have to. And when I do, I feel like I'm always being weird. I want to make more friends and be more social. I just can't figure out how to make it happen. So social anxiety and really anxiety in general is one of the most common things that my clients are seeking help for. It's a massive issue. It's a very common one and it can impact your life in just huge ways. Fun fact, I was diagnosed with both social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder when I was in my early twenties. What do you say? But Rowan, you're so cool and outgoing. How could you possibly have that? Well, thanks, that's very kind of you to say, but it's true. I also don't really struggle with anxiety much anymore, unless I get put on the spot unexpectedly, but even then I can usually roll with it. But this was not always the case. At the height of my anxiety issues, I rarely left the house, I often couldn't get to work, I thought I was losing my mind. And it scared the shit out of me, which only made my anxiety worse. I got into therapy with a really fucking bad therapist, but... uh, up, helping a little bit. Um, and I got on Paxil, which helped actually a lot to control the worst of the anxiety until I could do enough of my own work um, to control it without meds. Um, I also struggled a lot with anxiety when I was younger, and my parents can attest to the nightmare of trying to drag my little ass kicking and screaming into the building every morning. Uh, not a good time for anyone involved. Anywho, enough about me. The good news is that there are really, uh, there are a lot of ways that you can get your anxiety under control. The bad news is that it will generally involve doing the things that make you anxious. So social anxiety is what you said was your main issue. It sounds like you're wanting to be more social, but for the most part, you're keeping yourself away from social situations because the anxiety makes you feel like you're coming across oddly in some way. So the first step is coming out to your friends around this, if you haven't already. Tell them that being social is hard for you, and then ask them for feedback around how you're coming across and ask them to be honest. If you act totally weird when you're forced to be social, then you want to know that. I'm guessing that you replay every social interaction you have when you get home. Um, and every time you go over it, the way you come across and the things you said and the facial expressions you imagine you had, the way you moved your body, all of those things get worse and worse every time you go over how badly you fucked all of that up. And no, I'm not psychic. It's just generally what we all do when we're feeling insecure or socially anxious and we go home After a social interaction, and we just do that to ourselves. So stop doing that. That's number one. Um, But you really do need to find out if you're acting oddly or not. Chances are that you're not actually coming across as weird as you think you are. But you do need to find out. So ask the few friends that you do have to be really honest with you. They can be gentle with it, but you need to know the truth. So after you've gone on that little fact-finding mission, you need to take what they say and fold it into an overall plan to be more social. If you get freaked out at parties, then find a party to go to. It's a great time of year for that, actually. Lots of businesses and nonprofits around are having holiday parties. You don't need to talk to anyone. Just go. Move around the room, eat some free food, drink some free booze, then go home. The mission here is for you to start to raise your tolerance for that anxiety. And this is really the key. The anxiety doesn't need to go away. And honestly, it probably won't for a while. But if you can raise your tolerance for that feeling and let go of the idea that you have to make it stop, then you don't need it to go away. And once a majority of your system understands that you can feel anxious and still function, then the anxiety will basically get bored and go find somebody else to play with. When we experience anxiety, that's basically our brains telling our body that we are in danger. We get our adrenal system all fired up so we can deal with this mortal threat. So if you can send messages back to your brain that there actually is no threat, then your system will begin to settle. But that's not always so easy, which is why the first step is to learn that you can actually operate while being anxious. Now, you will have days when you can't take on this beast, and that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. If you can't always follow through with challenging your anxiety in the moment, then that's okay. There's a sweet spot there between giving yourself a break and having compassion around this struggle and then letting yourself off the hook so much that you're not actually really working on the problem. You are the only one who can say where that line is and it's often a moving target. So try to set yourself up for for some easy wins early on so you can build on that momentum. And again, enlist the help of your friends. Bring one or two folks along with you when you go out so they can hold you accountable as well as support you. Keep putting yourself in those situations that bring on the anxiety, but do it in a way where you feel like you are in control, where you have an exit strategy. That way, if shit goes sideways, you know you can get out of it. Often this will give you more courage to actually stick it out longer. So play with your tolerance. See how far you can push it before you retreat. If you find yourself in an unavoidable situation, like a presentation of some sort or, God forbid, a job interview then bust yourself right off the bat on being nervous. I've been self-employed for over 20 years because I fucking hate job interviews. I would completely and utterly lose it when I used to have to do that. Um, Finally, I realized that if I just came out with it at the very beginning and told them I was nervous, then I could stop pretending that I wasn't nervous, which was pretty much impossible anyway, and I often did better in the interview. Most people will not judge you for being nervous but they will judge you for acting weird if they don't know why you're acting weird. Okay, so finally, don't diminish yourself for anyone. That's not fair to you. It's not fair to those in the world who want to see the real you. We all have something to offer. We're all weird. We're all fucked up. We're all odd human beings, and it's okay to let that hang out. None of us come off as smooth as we want to, and owning that is generally found to be endearing. So give yourself a break. Push the limits of your comfort zone and keep moving forward. Even if it's two steps forward and one step back, that's still progress. Well, I hear that funky bye-bye music, which means you've burned up another 20 minutes or so of your life with me, so I appreciate that. Thank you. I hope you got something out of today's show. I know I did. I am in need of some more content for this podcast. It raises my anxiety, since we were just talking about anxiety, to... Come down to the wire every week hoping that somebody else is going to email or call in. So if you got something going on or if somebody in your life has something going on, tell them to get in touch. And uh, they get a little free advice and I get some content for my podcast and everybody goes away feeling all warm and fuzzy. Give me a call at 1-844-Durango. 1-844-387-2646. That is a voicemail-only number, so do not freak out about anybody picking up the phone. That will never happen. You can just call and leave your message, and it's just that easy. Or you can email me at rowan at therapyforhumanspodcast.com and I will get your stuff on the next podcast episode. If you'd like to see me live and in person for therapy, you can get in touch with me at 970 903 Three eight nine three. You can also find me on the web at Durango Psychotherapy.com, or you can find me again at Therapy for Humans So until next week, take care of yourself and take care of each other.